So we've been uh, doing a series on 1 Corinthians at the minute and uh, we are just about to land today in 1 Corinthians 6 and uh, I've entitled this chat, How Clean Is Your House? You might be able to see it in a minute. Does anybody remember the TV show, How Clean Is Your House? Hands up, hands up. No. Some people don't. Okay, for those of you who don't remember, this is Kim and Aggie, and uh, they are the presenters of the show, and they went to people's houses that were normally quite in, in, in uninhabitable. That's not like the, word, the right word. Uninhabitable. And they would go into the house, and uh, they would meet the people in the house, and they would do a clean-up job. Uh, normally, it would be the kind of house where there would be papers from the last year lining the baths. There would be um, last month's food underneath the bed. There would be cat wee covering the sofas. The kind of house that you probably wouldn't want to be living in. Anyway, so Kim and Aggie would go into the house. They would clean it up normally with very kind of eco-friendly products like lemon juice and vinegar and bicarb. And uh, they would get this house spick and span. In the meantime, the people who own the house would be sent off maybe to live with family or to stay in a hotel or whatever. I don't know where they went. Uh, and Kim and Aggie would take some scrapings out of the fridge or they'd take some scrapings out of the oven and they would send it off to the labs. And at the end, it would come back in a little Petri dish. Do you remember the Petri dishes? And they would say, look at your Petri dish. You know, inside it, inside your fridge, we found E. coli and salmonella and all these things. And the people in the house would say, that is it. I'm never going back to that lifestyle again. And uh, Kim and Aggie would then come back maybe a month later or a few weeks later to see whether they'd managed to keep up that kind of lifestyle and keep their house clean. So why am I telling you about Kim and Aggie today? Uh, well, I feel like today maybe God's wanting to do a bit of a clean-up act uh, in our lives and, and for us as a church. And so when I'm talking about how clean is your house, I'm talking about how clean is our church house and how clean are our lives, us the people who make up the house. But also, just as a reminder, Kim and Aggie didn't have to go on the, uh, the people who lived in the house didn't have to clean up the house on their own. They had Kim and Aggie there to help. And just as for us today, if there's stuff we need to clean out, just to remind you that we've got God to help us. We're not doing it on our own. So just before we read 1 Corinthians 6, I'm going to give you a little bit of a history to Corinth. I think we should have the next slide coming up. It's pretty, isn't it? I quite enjoyed doing the PowerPoint, by the way. Uh, okay. So this is Corinth here. Can you see it? Just there. Right between um, the north and the south of Greece. So Greece is all that yellow bit that you can see. So anyone that was going from the north of Greece to the south of Greece would have had to have passed through Corinth. And also sea traders would have, instead of going all the way around these tricky waters here, they would have taken their ships to one port, taken all their cargo off the port, taken it across the land, and then just loaded it on the other side for where they were going. So at the minute, there's a canal um, that has been built, but back in Bible times, there wasn't a canal. Sometimes they'd even take their ships across that bit of land. So not only um, was it a very busy place, because so many people were going through it, it became a very prosperous place too, because there was so much trade. So that should be our first point, that Corinth was probably one of the most prosperous places in Eastern Europe. Is that coming up? Yeah. 
It's, by, it's a bit small. I'm going to have to remember that for next time. My writing's a bit small there. So um, also in Corinth, there was a hill. And uh, at the hill, it was a bit bigger than Benahi. So it would have been a bit of a trek to get up. But right at the top of the hill was a temple. And that was the temple of Aphrodite, who was the Greek goddess of love. And uh, inside her temple would have been about a thousand priestesses or prostitutes. And they would have come all the way down from the top of the hill, all the way down in the evenings and at night to ply their trade on this very busy and prosperous city. So not only was it prosperous, but it also became quite a sex-obsessed place. And then also... There was a temple uh, in Corinth itself, which was the temple of Apollo. And he was the Greek god of music, love and poetry and also the ideal of male beauty. So not only was it prosperous and sex obsessed, it was also the center of homosexual practices. So you can imagine why in the early bit of Corinthians, it says that Paul approached Corinth with much fear and trembling. I have to say, if I was going to Corinth with my family... I would have much fear and trembling. I want to be as far away from Corinth as possible. But as I've been preparing it this week, this talk, I've been thinking that whilst we don't have uh, a thousand prostitutes climbing down Benahi at night to ply their trade on our children, we do actually have all of those things just at the end of our children's fingertips and at the end of our fingertips now in the form of media and mobile phones and iPads and computers. And so actually what Paul was saying for the Corinthians then is very much applicable to what he's saying to us here today in our society. I'm just kind of have a little bit of water. It's the kind of time when you get your top lip stuck to your teeth. <laughs> Do I get that? Okay. So, um, let's read 1 Corinthians 6 together. should come up on the screen. Oh, back of one. That's it. So, lawsuits amongst believers. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have any disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute amongst believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers? The very fact that there are lawsuits amongst you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. 
By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in the spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside the body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. Okay, I'm just going to pray and then we'll carry on. God, I just thank you for your word today. And God, I just pray that as I speak, Lord, that if there's anything painful or anything hurtful or anything that people might find difficult or anything that brings up stuff from the past, Lord, I pray that you would be their comfort. And God, that anything that's not of you, Lord, we just pray that it would fall away. And Lord, anything that is of you, God, we just pray that that would stick and that that would challenge us today. God, because we want to have a clean house. Lord, we want... We just allow you to do your clean-up act with us today. Amen. Okay, so just as the Bible splits this passage into two parts, we're going to split this passage into two parts as well. So we're going to look at the lawsuits amongst believers, and then we're going to look at sexual immorality. So first of all, we're going to look at the church, so our house as in the church, and then we're going to look at our house as in our bodies. So... I think the next slide should be our church. Okay, so are we taking matters of dispute outside of our church? See, the Corinthians were doing that. They were taking matters of dispute outside the church. And are we? What's wrong with that? So one reason that we might not want to take things from inside the church, outside of the church, is that people have, uh, outside the church, not always, but sometimes have completely different moral compasses to us. So the things that we base um, our beliefs on, because we base it on the word, not everybody else is reading the word, and so they might have different moral compasses to us. So I'm just going to give you an example. Um, Samuel, our eldest son, was invited to a party of one of his very best friends recently. And uh, I can't remember what day it was on, but we did actually have family up. But I was thinking, that's fine. He can kind of go to the party, no worries, until I heard that they were watching Big Hero 6, which I wouldn't have had problem with. However, Big Hero 6 was still at the cinema at the time. So this was an illegal DVD that they were going to watch. So I had this debate in my mind, thinking, I don't want to come across as being, oh, I'm sorry, but we're not going to watch that, because it's not, you know, I didn't want to come across like that and be all pious and kind of looking patronizing towards them. But also, I didn't want uh, Samuel to be watching that. You might be thinking why, but I had a little look up online as well just to make sure I'm right. But apparently, pirated DVDs are intrinsically linked to organized crime, people trafficking, prostitution, drug dealing, and terrorism. So it's pretty harsh stuff, pirated DVDs, the money that they get from them. Anyway, so I could have then gone to a friend of mine in the village um, and asked them what they thought about this and what I should do about this. But actually, it turned out that um, a couple of weeks later, Isaac was invited to a party, and this time they were going bowling. I thought, oh, that's fine. We can go bowling, have a great time, come back. I went to pick him up, and guess what the kids were watching? 
Big Hero 6. It still wasn't out. It, it was still at the cinema. It wasn't out on DVD yet. So um, I didn't say anything about it because I didn't know that it was going to happen. Uh, but you see, if I had have gone to her and asked her whether it was okay for my child to watch Big Hero 6, she would have said, yeah, absolutely fine, even though it's not out at the cinema because she has a different moral compass to me. Uh, so instead, I asked my mum, and I decided just to quietly just tell her, tell them that actually Samuel, we had fr- we had family up, and so he wasn't going to be coming without saying anything more about it. I don't know whether that was the right thing to do, but um, that's just a little example, really, of taking something outside of the church uh, that might be a dispute amongst people inside of the church. So just as a side note as well, um, hiring a lawyer then and hiring a lawyer today, is this right, Andy? Costs a lot of money. (laughs) So apart from anything else, uh, if you were taking a dispute out of the um, court, you'd probably be a little bit worse for wear on the money side of things. Okay, so are we dealing then with disputes in a godly way? Now, I know that Chuck chatted quite a bit about this a while ago, so I'm not going to linger on it for a long time. But I want to say that, you know, that the enemy hated what was happening in Corinth. He hated that God's kingdom was coming and people were becoming Christians and people were being saved from lots of this rubbish that was happening at the time uh, into the kingdom of God. And I totally believe that what God does, uh, uh, what the enemy does in those moments is distract the people of the church from looking outside the church to looking within the church and to distracting us with stuff that's going on between ourselves. You see, in verse 7, he says that the very fact that there were lawsuits amongst them means that they've already been defeated. Wouldn't it be better to have been wronged and cheated and accept what had happened rather than be distracted. And I'm not suggesting for a minute that we become doormats. But I remember um, Chuck once talking about leaders and saying that as leaders we need to have, and this is the same for Christians, we need to have the outside of an armadillo and the inside of a marshmallow. So in other words, we need to let things fall off us that aren't really important and uh, still be soft in the inside. So just a few verses Uh, Matthew 18 verse 15 to 17 take it directly to your brother if they listen you have won them over if not take it to another brother or sorry take another brother with you and Colossians 3 verse 13 bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you have forgive as the Lord forgave you Ephesians 4 verse 20 29 do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it might benefit those who who listen so just three little points really take it directly to the person that's offended you if something's happened within our church family please take it to the person that's offended you If they don't listen take someone else with you and have a conversation with them and then make sure that you bring it to Archie and I because that's what it says is a biblical thing to do Also, forgive them. Be quick to forgive because God's forgiven you first. So be quick to forgive them. And don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but build each other up. Let's build each other up as this church. I could go on and on, but we're not going to spend all day talking about that. So how do our lives bear witness to those outside the church? Okay. Uh, Paul talks about how we will judge angels and the world. 
And then he says, and so much more of the things of this life. And some commentators would say that we're already uh, judging people just by being who we are. So our lives, in some respects, should cause um, an effect. And I read this, and it's really challenged me this week. Are we quietly challenging our non-believing friends, family, work colleagues, partners by the way we live our lives? i read that again. Are we quietly challenging our non-believing friends, family, work colleagues, partners by the way we live our lives? I've noticed recently that there's a member of our staff team uh, who I will will remain nameless, who if I ever hear anybody saying anything negative about someone else, or if I say something negative about someone else, she stays absolutely quiet the whole time. She just sits there. She doesn't say anything. And just by the fact she's sitting there and not saying anything challenges me. So I think, is what I'm saying helpful? Is what I'm saying right? Should I be saying this at all? And so actually, even as Christians, we can challenge each other by the way that we live our lives. And she didn't have to say anything. She just sat there quietly. She didn't say anything at all. And then I've got another friend who... um, lives in our village and she uses the Lord's name in vain so she uses God's name as a swear word uh, an awful lot and there are two things that are very awkward about that when she does so the first is that I find it offensive because it's God's name and she's using it as a swear word it'd be like her using my child's name as a swear word or something Um, but secondly every time she says it she feels awkward around me so we have this awkward moment of neither of us have said anything, but this is a really awkward moment. <laughs> and uh, that's just a really tiny thing and, and not a huge thing at all. But I wonder whether the way that we behave around people or who we are around people should be challenging them more. And you don't have to necessarily say anything. We don't want to come across as, you know, patronizing or holier than thou or any of that. But are we quietly challenging our non-believing friends, family and work colleagues and partners by the way we live our lives? So before we start talking about our house as our bodies, I just want to highlight to you in verse 9 to 11 what Paul says. He lists a whole load of reasons why people might not inherit the kingdom of God. But then in verse 11 he says, But that is what some of you were. But you were washed, sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. And I want you just to remember that today, that if any of those things that were listed uh, in that list is something of your past or something of your present, then actually if you've repented, if you said sorry and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you're forgiven and you're clean. It says in Psalm 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God, we thank you that that is a story for us today. We thank you, God, that if we've accepted you as our Lord and Saviour, and we said sorry for the dross, sorry for the stuff that doesn't please you, we thank you that today we stand clean before you. Amen. So our bodies. Paul then goes to talk on to talk about how many things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial. So is everything that we spend our time on beneficial? 
Let's just take alcohol as an example. So Jesus turned water into wine, right? So he thinks wine is a good thing. I enjoyed a nice glass on uh, Friday night at our table for six. Big up for table for six, by the way. Great time we had. Um, But for some people, it might not be beneficial for them. So, for example, we know that it says in the Bible that we shouldn't get drunk on wine. A friend of mine uh, has a father who's an alcoholic, and he decided from a very young age that he wasn't going to drink alcohol at all for two reasons. Firstly, that he was determined that he wasn't going to fall the same way as his father. And secondly, if he was drinking alcohol and his father was there, it wouldn't be helpful for him. It wouldn't have been beneficial to him at all. So is everything that we're doing or we spend our time on beneficial. But I think what Paul's saying more here is are we being mastered by anything, which I think is the next point. Are we being mastered by anything other than Jesus? I think that this is his main point because if we have anything in Jesus's place in our lives, then it's becoming an idol to us. So for example, am I mastered by Facebook? I do like Facebook. I do spend quite a lot of time on Facebook. Uh, I keep it to be in touch with my friends, to organize social events, to share pictures with family. But am I addicted to it? Is it mastering me? Do I want to just check one more time in the last 10 minutes whether one of my pictures or my statuses has had a like? Am I being proud by sharing pictures of my children or my beautiful lounge? Or <laughs> So for um, me, I think that's probably one of my issues is that I spend far too much time on it. And so you as a church can keep me accountable when you see me on it, say, Jude, how much time have you spent on this today? <laughs> probably the answer would be far too much, but you're right in challenging me about it. But for other people, it might be something completely different. It might be pornography. It might be masturbation. It might be reading romantic novels. It might be something entirely different. But let's remember that we're not on our own. We're not on our own. We've got God to help us. And he doesn't expect us to do it on our own either. You see, he's given us the Holy Spirit as our helper. And he's also given us one another. He's given us friends. God, I pray just now, Lord, that if there's something in our lives that is mastering us, is in your place, would you highlight it to us now? God, would you show us if there's something that's taking your place or there's something that's become an idol, has become addictive? would you just send your Holy Spirit to be our helper? We thank you that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. We ask God that you just give us self-control. At the end, we always have, as Archie mentioned, a time for us to be able to um, pray for one another. And if anything at all um, that was that's come up there while you were waiting, then please do go and get prayer. I went a few weeks ago about the whole Facebook thing. And it is helpful because it just reminds us as well in those moments when you're um, spending more time on something that you shouldn't. Hold on, I've dealt with this. I need to bring this back to Jesus. And he does help us. So to summarize what Paul says in the next few verses, he says that our bodies have been bought at a price by God who sent Jesus. 
When we become Christians, we become one with Christ and our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. So Paul says that if we sin sexually, it would be like uniting Christ with a prostitute. Obviously, he uses this example because it was what was common in Corinth at the time. Let me just also say that sex is God's design. We were watching um, an Alpha video this week and Nikki Gumbel uh, was talking about how to um, make the most of the rest of your lives. And he was saying um, that God, when he looked down and he saw man and woman uh, having sex, he didn't say, oh, goodness, what will they get up to next? Um, (laughs) It was his design. It was his um, creation. He decided that we were going to be able to um, enjoy sex to be able to have children. Uh, and for other reasons too. Uh, so sex is a gift from God for within the boundaries of marriage. And it's uh, to be enjoyed within those boundaries too. So we're going to look at um, two parts. Fleeing sexual immorality and then honouring God with our bodies. So I've just got a couple of examples really. Uh, there are loads more things I could say. And really we just leave it up to you um, before the Lord as well. But we live in a sex-obsessed generation. You only have to really look at the recent films and books that have been out, like Fifty Shades of Grey, which was a um, top seller and uh, a box office hit. And sex is used to sell anything from a car to perfume. Hello, come in. So I'm just going to give a few examples of uh, how we might flee sexual immorality in today's society. And it will look different for all of us. So setting boundaries for yourself, like how much maybe you use your phone and what you use it for, what you watched on TV, what books that you read. Are they being helpful? Be sensible about relationships you have. I could say men only contact men and women only contact women, but that's almost impossible to do because me and Archie have been discussing that in the last few days. And uh, I was reminded in 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 to 2, it says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger women, uh, sorry, treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Let's try and make sure that we treat each other with absolute purity. Uh, I was thinking about back to when I was a teenager and uh, there was a book on the go when I was a teenager by Judy Bloom called Forever. Does anyone remember that? Oh dear, I'm in a different generation clearly. (laughs) Maybe it was a South of England thing, I don't know. Do you remember it? Yeah. We are the same age. That's what it is, obviously. Anyway, it was this book that was just a, a kind of teenage novel. But in it, there was a chapter that was a little bit, you know, too much description. And everybody wanted to get hold of this book. And everyone wanted to read this book. And you wanted under your covers at night while no one was watching uh, to read this book. And I was thinking about that um, for teenagers today, you know. It's probably not a book that goes around the playground. It's probably more likely something on a telephone or on an iPad or uh, on some kind of electronic device. And uh, my advice to you would be, be ruthless. If something, someone shows you something you don't want to see, walk away. Once you've seen something, you can't take it back. God can heal, but it's so much better to avoid it in the first place. So are we honouring God with our bodies? 
So as well as fleeing, we need to look at maybe some good practice. And I know I feel like I bang on about this every time that I speak, but be accountable. God's given us each other. Find someone that you can speak to and you can be accountable to uh, and ask them to ask you the difficult questions. Don't ask them to ask you whether you've had a shower today or whether you've cleaned your teeth. Uh, the answer probably is going to be yes to those, but ask them, give them permission to ask you difficult questions. And if you want a list of difficult questions, then uh, Emma Wardridge, our small groups pastor, has a brilliant list that will make your hair stand on end. <laughs> so if you want a list, then come and find us and we can give you a list. But it's just good, isn't it, to be God's person community. He's given us one another and he's not done that by accident. He did that on purpose and that's so we can challenge each other and we can hold each other up. We can encourage each other when we're doing well. Okay, if you're married, make sure you spend time with your spouse. When you do spend time together, make sure you connect emotionally. It'd be very easy just to always put a film on and just sit there. Make sure you chat about what's going on uh, in your emotions. One of the top reasons for affairs is loneliness. Uh, And do have sex often. That's permission for you all married couples. Do have sex often and only abstain by mutual consent. This is to avoid temptation from both sides. Um, I, when I was a student, I shared a house with three girls and uh, all of the girls and I at different times had boyfriends and we decided that we were going to have an open door policy because we just kind of had our bedrooms and not really a communal living area. Then we would go into our bedrooms like if you wanted a bit of private space to be able to chat to your boyfriend. But we decided that we would have an open door policy so that, one, we would leave our door slightly ajar all the time, and two, our housemates didn't have to knock on the door so they could just walk in. So basically then we wouldn't be doing anything that we would be embarrassed about letting our um, housemates see happening. And uh, we were thinking this week a little bit about all of this stuff. And we were talking about having open door policies on our phones. And as married couples, whilst we have passwords, because we all want to protect our children, uh, we also make sure that each other knows our passwords. So we could look at it at any time. Not that we don't trust each other, uh, but that we want to make sure that we avoid any kind of temptation. So open door policy. Yeah. So I could go on and on about all of these things, I'm sure, but I'd probably be here all day. And at the end of the day, I could talk till I'm blue in the face, but it's actually only God that challenges. And it's actually only God who brings change that's lasting. So let's remember back to Kim and Aggie. Is there anything in your Petri dish that's harmful to you and to those in your house? Is there anything in your Petri dish that's harmful to you or to those in your house? Why don't we ask Jesus to help us with the clean up and the clear out? Don't forget that we're not on our own. God will and can help us if we ask him. So in a minute, we're just going to come to the end. And I want to encourage us not to be British. We can so easily like to just struggle on and sit in our own places and decide that we're not going to go for any prayer about anything because that would be rather embarrassing. But if we're honest, we all struggle with at least something that we've talked about today. Whether it's speaking about people behind their backs. Whether it's something that's mastered us other than God. The list goes on. 
please, please don't rush away. Please get someone to come and pray with you because you don't have to do it on your own. Um, and also, can I just mention that we have in our church um, some prayer ministry, which basically is more in-depth kind of prayer, where we would have like four sessions together, and we'd just ask God to come in, and we'd step out of the way and let him do his stuff. And can I say, I've seen some amazing healings for people from stuff that they've had in their past and heard even more than I've seen myself. So can I just encourage you that if you've got deeper stuff that you want to deal with, that you know that is a Sunday morning's not going to be enough, then to come speak to Archie or, or I about it and we'll organise that for you. Why don't we stand?